Hello and welcome to Couple with a Scientist, a podcast by Loughborough University that will interview a different scientist each week about their academic journey to the top. We will discuss how they went from a confused teenager choosing A-level subjects or similar to a leader in their field with plenty of weird and wonderful stories in between and golden nuggets of advice for those aspiring to get into science. As well as keeping your ears and brain entertained, we hope this podcast will dispel the myth that all scientists wear white lab coats and give you an insight into how vast the world of science really is. And because the makers of this show are painfully British, we'll be doing it all over a good cuppa. But before we get started, a quick bit about me, your host. I'm Meg and I'm a PR and communications officer at Loughborough University and I'm also an aspiring scientist. I made the tough decision to return to university and pursue my love of biology and I found podcasts to be an incredibly helpful resource when making this decision, though I found them to be slightly field specific. From social sciences to health scientists, we'll cover it all in this podcast and show you how fast science really is. And hopefully you'll pick up a few tips along the way and help you on your journey to becoming a scientist. So stick the kettle on and settle in. Joining us for today's episode is Professor Mark Lewis, a Professor of Musculoskeletal Biology and Dean of the School of Sport, Exercise and Health Sciences at Loughborough University. Mark is also the Director of the National Centre for Sport and Exercise Medicine and the Academic Lead for the National Rehabilitation Centre, a new 70-bed NHS rehabilitation facility near Loughborough. His expertise lies in the design and development of in vitro systems that are similar to human tissue, and the approaches he uses encompasses cell and tissue engineering and regenerative medicine, but more on all of that later. So hi Mark, welcome to the show. Um, first of all, the important question, what mug have you gone for and what are you drinking in it? So um, this probably sums up the way I think about things is I don't have a favourite mug. So basically I just went to a random collection of things which don't match together. Uh, and I found this one, which is my, um, that's Flash Gordon queen flash gordon um, mug. <laughs> um only because it, um obviously one of the bands i first liked when i was a kid uh, a few years ago now uh, and i like the design uh, and i like um sci-fi so maybe that's why really but um yeah i don't really have any particular mugs i just choose the nearest one which is clean if i'm honest i mean good tactics and uh, what are you drinking tea coffee tea always tea nice. don't drink coffee always tea um, mine's not as cool as yours now. Mine seems a bit silly, but I've got um, my marine mug from one of my favourite Disney films, Aristocats, and um, I'm drinking squash because I can't find any almond milk today. So, not oh, well. really couple with a scientist. No, but not let really. It go. <laughs> also, um, a, great, um, a great film as well, Flash Gordon. If anyone, I think I just said that. So, uh, yeah, that's what I was... admit. Don't think I've seen it, but I'll add it to the list. It's very kitschy, um, oh. but if you like kitsch, it's um, it's worth watching. I'll report back. Um, and we've also requested that you bring an artefact with you, something that kind of relates to your work. What have you got? Yeah. So I had a hunt around. I'm not really a collector of stuff either. Um, but I found this chap, or chap S. Um, that is an axolotl. Um, it actually was given to, to me by a company we're working with called Axol Biosciences. And I'll probably talk a little bit about that later on. But the reason that people are interested in this creature, so this is basically part of the salamander family. And the thing about axolotls is they are, um, because of the water, they live in a very specific uh, part of the world. And there's something very specific about the water they live in. They don't mature. So basically they stay as, um, they stay as embryonic creatures. But the reason that they're really interested in their eye work is people, um, you can, poor little person, it seems a bit unfair, doesn't it really? But you can, um, they regenerate their limbs. And so that's what we're particularly interested. Part of what we're interested in is regeneration and repair. And there are some schools of thought that if you understand how creatures like this or lizards can regenerate lost organs or, you know, um, lost tails, then that might help us understand how human beings might do it. I, I don't subscribe necessarily to that, that school of thought, but fascinating creatures and, and with that sort of unique ability to be able to regenerate. So axolotl. Really cool creatures. And I always think they look like um, real-life Pokemon. They're so cute. Well, I don't know about this. This one's been obviously cutified, which <laughs> will be what I would do to it. But there you go. You close up <laughs> the Axolotl. There we go. Brilliant. So let's kind of get stuck into the more serious questions, I suppose. Um, so you're an expert in musculoskeletal biology. Um, can you explain what that means, please? Yeah, really simply, it's, it's understanding how the fundamental um, cell and molecular biology of, of musculoskeletal tissue. So the musculoskeletal system is basically your muscles, your bones, your ligaments, your tendons, your cartilage, uh, how they work, 
in the first place. Um, so on a macro level, that that's um, I don't do this work, but obviously we have colleagues in our organisation who work in an area called biomechanics, which is our whole understanding how the whole thing works together. I I try to, and I have for many years, try to understand how each tissue works in, independently um, to understand things like hypertrophy, muscle growth, um, atrophy, muscle loss, and everything in between. Um, so and and so it's my fundamental training is cell and molecular biology. So it's so it's to, to understand the genetics and the cellular responses of different tissues. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. Fantastic explanation. You've obviously done that before. <laughs> um, so it's kind of self-explanatory, I suppose, but for those wondering, why would you say this is an important area to study? Because it's an important area to study, that's a glib answer. Why? Because um, your musculoskeletal system is something which literally supports you your entire life. Um, it's... Um, it's something which you need to look after. Um, there's no coincidence that I, and we might talk about it later, I ended up working at the School of Sport Exercise and Health Science at Loughborough University, uh, where it was pre, from previous places I worked at UCL, University College London, previously. Um, because understanding how to maintain that, um, that musculoskeletal system and how to moderate is really important. So, for example, um, as people age, actually resistance exercise is, is actually more important um, than cardiovascular exercise in terms of being able to get up out of a chair, live an independent life. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's the, the, the one of the answers in terms of the general population. I got interested in it because like pretty much everyone at Loughborough, um, I've got a story which is to do with sport um, and my sports rugby union. Um, and I played my entire life and been involved. Injury uh, is, is prevalent. You just see musculoskeletal injuries all the time. So just very and interested really so that's kind of how i got into it in the first place that's kind of the the whole the ho holistic answer the reason i got into it from a scientist point of view is it's just really really interesting tissue so for example for muscle regenerates like our friend the axolotl here your muscle regenerates so when you um lose muscle or when your muscles being stimulated and that could be exercising that could be walking around um you have cells within it which enable new muscle tissue to be grown um, and so it is one of the few um, systems in the human body which is regenerative. And, and, and that's also very interesting from, as you can imagine, from a cell biology, molecular biology science point of view. That's really interesting to understand why it's the case, why it does it and how, how they work. So, so I guess the, the important thing is, is kind of I think it does, like you said, kind of speak for itself. And then it kind of dovetails. You, you can start with things around people's health, but then you look at loss of limbs. Um, you look at and, and maybe the ultimate fantasy is could we grow new limbs completely human replacements um, for you know people who, who don't have them. Um, so we're going to discuss a bit more about your research um, later on and some of the applications. But I, I like to take it back a little bit on this show because the whole point is that we're trying to show kind of that the path to where you are today isn't yeah. always straight. It can be winding. And I think it's really refreshing for people to hear. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, I can't imagine you always wanted to be a musculoskeletal biologist. Um, what well, did you want to be when you were younger? Well, sort of, I did really in a funny mm -hmm. sort of way. Um, I, I was kind of always, um, my 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 mum said I was, all, the question I asked is why, 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 the whole time, why does this do this? Why does that do this? I think scientists, people who end up being scientists do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Why is this? Why is that? Why is the other? And I was fascinated by how things worked. Um, and so, you know, tinkering around, taking things like radios and whatnot apart. And I was particularly interested um, in, in the human body, really, and how it worked. Um, so my first intention actually was going to do medicine. That was what I was originally going to do. And then one reason or another, the things didn't quite pan out as expected. I ended up doing something slightly, well, slightly different. Although, ironically, I probably have exactly the same job now as I would have done if I followed the other route. I'm sure I would have ended up being a, a research um, doctor of medic anyway so I think I've ended up in the same place but that's where it came from so it was just fascination about how how stuff worked you know um particularly the human body and I kind of um you know we may get onto the, to the background and things in a second but I kind of had no no influences at all there's nobody in my immediate family who did anything like this um and so I was just kind of making it up as I went along so I thought I assumed the only people who studied anatomy physiology biochemistry with doctors I didn't I didn't know anyone else could do it 
So that was kind of the route I went down. As I say, things didn't quite go according to plan, but I ended up um, studying biochemistry and physiology instead. But, and, and I ended up doing a lot of things I uh, would be interested in, which is kind of the medical sciences side of things, really. That's really interesting to hear. And I think one of the things we like to try and achieve with this podcast is dispelling the myth of science just being kind of one career. Um, Because it was the same for me at school. I didn't realise how vast science is and just assumed it was, you know, physics, biology, chemistry, that's all you do. There's nothing in between. But you're right, there's loads of different avenues you can explore. I think it's the the integration of all those things, really, which is what's most interesting. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I was um, the first in my family to go to university. My dad's um, a a dock worker, worked on the docks, a docker on the south coast. I'm from Poole in Dorset. Uh, And my mum was a domestic cleaner. So um, I didn't have any kind of influences at all, other than probably love sport from from my dad. Um, and, um, you know, I, I was lucky that um, there are lots of people who you can have debates about this with lots of people. Um, but I went to a state grammar school. I know there's lots of debates. Where I'm sorry, it was for me. It was it was you you do you, you hear we you know, in our job in my other bit of my job. We talk all the time about how we, um, you know, how we provide opportunity for people who don't have it. Um, if I hadn't passed the 11 plus exam and gone to a grammar school and found a library and a rugby field, I, I don't know what, you know, I would have, that was my, that was literally completely changed my life. So I think um, for me, it was like you said, I was kind of just meandering my way through, not really knowing what you could do, but it came from literally a position of ignorance. It, it, it was like, there was no other influences to, 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 to help me go through. So I think, um, yeah, you know, I, I, you see doctors on telly, right? So you know what they do. So therefore, let's do that. <laughs> um, so let's talk, you said it kind of things didn't go to plan. So can we talk a bit more about that? So what did you study first at university and where were you? And then how did that kind of progress to where no, we are so this was, this was A-levels. I did biology, chemistry, physically, biology, chemistry, physics, A-levels. Um, and I just didn't do well. It's a funny story and it's quite funny to imagine it these days, but um. I got to the point where I'd, um, we didn't even have UCAS then. Um, we actually had separate system for universities. Not everything was university then. Um, and I'd um, started the process. I'd, I'd been offered, um, you know, I'd gone to the stage where you held your two offers for university mm-hmm. uh, in two cities. Um, and um, I won't name the city, but when I went to visit it, bearing in mind, this was, um, again, I know I don't look it, but it was in the late 80s. Um, this city was... Um, not a place I thought I ever wanted to be. Bear in mind, I was born on the south coast in Bournemouth. You know, France is nearer to my home than London. So, you know, it was um, it, it was grim up north, I thought. Um, so ridiculously, I had these two offers um, for the universities and I dropped one of them, which, you know, nobody, that's what I mean. If you'd had any kind of advice or input, there's no way you would have done that. But yeah. no, I didn't. No one that gave me any advice or anything. So I just dropped one of the two. The one I would have got into, actually, as it turned oh. out. And I kept the one that um, that I didn't get into. Um, I didn't get into either, right? But I, I dropped one of them. So so it happened then. It happened at, at, at A-levels, really. And it was, um, you know, um, it's quite funny with my other bits of my job, where you talk about clearing and things like that. Well, I know what that feels like. I, I did it. Yeah. Uh, um, and I wanted to do the nearest thing I could do um, to, to medicine. And so, um, you know, as I said, there wasn't a lot of expert advice in those days about what decisions to make. Um, and I think basically I, I was going through, like everyone did, um, it's all, all more sort of um, centralised in computer systems. Now, but I used to, buy, you have to buy the newspaper and go through all the columns to look at all the courses in clearing. And um, I, I wanted a, you know, I, I thought it's grim up north. Um, I don't think that, but that's what I thought then. Um, and I thought I wanted to stay close to home. So I found a degree in physiology and biochemistry at um, the University of Reading. Fantastic. So it's a, I, I love hearing how, obviously it was horrible for you at the time, but I love hearing how, you know, the people that you would never expect have had these twists and turns to get to these really big roles. So I think you know, it's really impressive. Wasn't horrible. I didn't know. It, it, <laughs> horrible suggests you have some kind of expectation or some kind of system setting. But I didn't have anything. So in many ways, it was like, oh well, this is the next thing to do. So I, I you know, I, I, I remember being gutted only because I, not gutted. I was annoyed because I wanted to do a bit better at A levels, um, which would have got me into the place the only one I had left. It's only looking back over time you think, well, what an idiot! I can't believe you let go 
the the, se- the second the second offer but you know it just wouldn't happen nowadays there'll be a hundred people screaming at someone don't do that don't do that but, <laughs> yeah. you know i was just left to my own devices a little bit so well it's all worked out okay <laughs> oh absolutely yeah yeah, um, yeah so reading university so you do the degree there do you did you go on to do a master's or did you go straight to phd i'm just trying to work yeah, out so, how we got to love yeah yeah so um like many people when you do a science degree the first couple of years is yeah bits of it which are really interesting um I, I kind of enjoyed l- learning all the um, biochemical cycles and things like that. Um, but, you know, it doesn't always come alive until you do a project. So I did a project in the final year. Um, and I actually, um, it was quite an interesting one, actually. Um, you can cut this out if you decide you don't want it in, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was working in the, the place I was working, I had quite a big um, animal physiology set up. And the person I ended up doing a project with, um, again, you don't really know at the time, right? You get a list of things, say, oh, that looks interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they're interested in understanding um, how stressed chickens, how stress affects chickens laying eggs, basically. Oh, okay. And they were interested in basically neurophysiology. So um, how the stress axis, so cortisol, um, affected with the um, luteinizing hormone and, the, and the, you know the cycle, the the, the, the the hormone cycles which are involved with egg production, and so um, a lot of that happens in the pituitary gland. So basically, and again, I look back now and I kind of laugh. Really, I went as a 21 year old, uh, probably 20, yeah, 21, going down to the local abattoir with a big bucket of ice, collecting chicken heads, um, just with no. Wow. Now, maybe in the background, someone had done all the paperwork and I just wasn't aware, you know, and as an undergraduate, you're not aware of lots of things, basically. So I may not have been aware of it. Uh, and basically, we um, you, you, you can you can extract the pituitary gland um, from from the heads, dissect it up and then grow the cells. So mm. that's kind of where my interest in, you know, I thought, oh, well, this is cool. You can get a tissue and you can take it apart and you can see how what makes it up and then you can rebuild mm. it back together. Then you can use it to understand um normal function physiology abnormal function pathophysiology and you can use it for drug discovery you know discovery of pathways all sorts of really really cool things so that's what got me interested in that in that and and that kind of then led almost back to what we were talking about before about wanting to know how to take things apart and how they're put together and everything so there you are literally taking it apart and then understanding how it works Um, i've started putting them back together again in the last x years but i'll talk about that in a bit (laughs) Uh, and and i was trying to understand what effect um stress hormones particularly um something called acth and cortisol had on the release of fsh and lh which are most involved in egg cycling basically yeah um, so that was kind of where the interest, I thought, oh, actually, this is quite cool. I like this. I can, you know, actually start measuring things. Um, and it's from there, really. Um, there wasn't really a big culture in my day of doing masters, really. Not 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 unless you were retraining almost, or there was an area you mm-hmm. wanted to know more about. It wasn't kind of, it seems a much more natural progression for a lot of people now. Um, so I went straight to a PhD. So I applied for PhDs um, in the area of growing cells, basically, cell and molecular biology. And I sort of looked at what came in and I literally didn't have any bias towards any particular. I, I, I had a, that's not strictly true. I was quite interested, I thought, in the, in the reproductive system uh, because it's what I'd done as you know, typical, right? I did it as an undergraduate project and I thought that was the only thing which, which was important. So I was looking for things which are in that area, really, although I was pretty, pretty open about it. And so then, um, yeah. I applied for a PhD, got interviewed and all sorts of things for it, and then started the PhD. So straight after my undergraduate degree, literally straight in. You know, I, I finished undergraduate degree, spent the summer, um, didn't have much cash around, so working all the way through and then going off to do a PhD. No messing about. No um, messing about. So how did we get from PhD to Professor at Love University? Yeah, so, so the PhD was, um, again, really interesting. Um, it was about trying to understand how, when um, the very primitive embryo is created, so when the, the, the cells fuse um, to make the egg, the egg implants into, into the woman's um, womb. It's actually called the endometrium. Um, and it was trying to understand how that happens. How does this thing actually glue on? And actually, and again, this fascinated me, burrows in. It actually burrows in. So you have, you have some sort of analogies to, to pregnancy as sort of alien they are mm. carrying and it, it literally does the 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 the, 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 the organism that the, the, what becomes the child burrows its way into the female anatomy um 
to create the placenta and to create the embryo and the placenta and everything. Mm-hmm. So um, what that opened my eyes to, and again, that was quite interesting. Again, you might want to cut this out when I tell you what tissues I collected, but um, I, I, you maybe you want to decide if you want me to tell you. But I, I collect placental tissue. Let's leave it at that. Um, so you know, again, you're 22 years old and you're, you're, you're going into operating theatres, you're meeting people, you're collecting all sorts of specimens and things. So that was mm-hmm. pretty cool, really. And I was doing it in a big, I went to London to do my PhD at a place called the Royal Postgraduate Medical School associated with Hammersmith Hospital. It's now part of Imperial College. Um, and you're right, right there in the middle of it, collecting samples and doing stuff. So that was pretty cool to, to mm. be honest with you. And the processes that, um, that go on there are the same processes which are involved in, um, if they're abnormal in things like um, cancer. And if they're normal, they're involved in growth. Quite a lot of the fundamental processes are the same. They just are regulated or not regulated appropriately, depending on, on the situation they're in. So then that led to me from being interested in um, a particular part, part of the body, if you like, or a particular process like reproduction to actually I was much more interested in those, those events. And as I said, those events transcend um, any tissues, you know, lots of lots of di- little diff- different things in that. So. I then looked for a postdoc. I wanted to stay in London. Um, and I saw one who people who were interested in the molecules and things I was interested in. But actually, it was in the context of kidney disease, um, okay. where um, there's a condition called fibrosis. So basically, when your kidneys it happens with a lot all internal organs, basically, when they're injured or damaged, they get replaced with connective tissue. Like it happens on your hand. If you cut your hand and you get a scar, it's an internal scar, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, again, those, those processes were, were involved. And what they were doing is creating, or what we did, was to create um, an experimental model using cell culture again. Um, so then I, would, I was then connected, collecting bits of kidneys at that time and, and slicing them up and growing cells and looking at that process as well. So that really drove kind of that interest. And then an opportunity came up. So I did the postdoc. I did it for a couple of years and, um, you know, like many people who are in that world, you think, okay, well, this is pretty cool, but I, what, I've got to do another job now because the contract, you know, it's contract research. Mm-hmm. So what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I may as well apply for academic roles, like men, like many people do, apply for a variety of roles. And a job came up, um, again, you know, it, it's amazing how it's jumped around. Bear in mind, I've gone from working in sort of related to obstetrics and gynecology to working with nephrology. Now, now, it was in the Eastman Dental Institute at UCL. All right. Um, and that was because the people there were, were interested in how your face grows, because obviously the most um, if you don't have straight teeth, you go to see an orthodontist who straighten your teeth. But often that's because of the way your skull has grown and, and, and shaping and things. And particularly interesting, this is where the, this is where it comes in. The muscles and bones of the face, the muscles, bones and ligaments. I hadn't done any work on muscles and bones and ligaments at that point. But what I had done is a lot of work in these, again, these underlying systems, which were consistent. And as it turned out, um, those were the systems that, that, that you know, or that was what I pitched anyway. Um, they were looking for somebody who had knowledge in that area, um, what you would call matrix biology, I suppose. Um, and so I went along, said, I don't know anything about these systems, but, um, you know, the muscle or bone, but I do know about this stuff and maybe we can apply it. So I got that job. Um, I then went through lecturer senior lecturer reader at ucl from i was there for so 93 to 2016 years and and i I guess um so in that time we'd gone from um you know interest in in the muscles and bones doing cell cultures again collecting bits of tissue um and then we i got involved in what was what at the time was stimulated by um a photograph which if you look go online and look for it is quite famous of an ear on a mouse yes i've seen it um and that was about almost doing what i'd done in you know taking a tissue creating the cells then put them back together to recreate the tissue in vitro so it was functional and it worked like a normal like the normal tissue and i i was at the point in my my career there where um we did a lot of um work with cells but they weren't reconstructed in that way thought oh well, that's really cool. I wonder if we can do that with muscles and bones and ligaments and tendons. So um, I've been working on that for quite a while as part of my, you know, the research bit of my academic career. So we developed these models and what we can do then, and 
actually much less well than we could do it now is grow muscles lab so what we do is we i could take a biopsy from your leg from your vastus lateralis this is one of your quadricep muscles we can isolate the cells and we can recreate your muscle in the lab basically and we can exercise it we can twitch it we can do anything you like with it um and and, and but it's nowhere near as good as it is now that was bearing in mind that was 2008 nine and i guess i was if, if I'm honest, I think I was looking for um, not for something else to do, but, you know, I've been at UCL for a long time um, and I got I got headhunted, actually, by Loughborough University um, to say, would you bring your work and your systems um, to, to Loughborough? Um, so it's kind of a combination of I knew the work we did has a, had a lot of um, resonance with sport and exercise. I didn't work, although ironically, UCL does a huge amount in that area now, but at the time, uh, you know, where would you go? You go to Loughborough, right? It was the obvious place. So I, I sent an email to a couple of now my colleagues to say, hey, look, I've got this stuff, these systems. We, you know, we think they be it behaves like real muscle, but we'd like to try it out with a few people. We'd like to try a few experiments out. And, and I always say this to the two colleagues. One of them never replied and the other one did. Um, I remind them of this, the one who did reply when I see them. And I got asked up to do um, like a little research seminar thing. And off the back of that, I got offered, um, you know, what I think it was called Star Professor then, but like the Excellence 100 type stuff yeah. to come and join Loughborough University. So I, that's kind of kind of how it happened. So it really came on the back of that, that work that I spent many, many, many years doing. On the side, I've done quite a lot of leadership roles and other things as well. So that obviously, you know, as you imagine, when you come in at a senior level, I uh, came in as a prof, basically. Um, right. There's lots of other things that people look at, not just that. But that was one of the main drivers. So that's, yeah, that's kind of hand up at Loughborough. Um, so let's jump to a bit more to present day. So you're at Loughborough. Um, what does your day-to-day slash typical month, if there is one, what does that look like for you? Lots of meetings. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not someone who, you know, everyone has slightly different styles. I, I like people and I like talking to people. So I'd always much rather talk to somebody about something rather than send an email or, or whatever. I mean, I've always had a mantra that I'd, I don't mind sending good news by email, but I always want to give the bad news or news that might be perceived as bad personally. So, you know, if something's been unsuccessful or whatever, you know, I'd much rather tell people personally. Yeah. Um, I, because of my role as a dean, um, obviously I'm on the academic leadership team of the university. So there's a lot of university level things. So, so lots of meetings. I don't really have many minutes in the day where i just sit in an office or sit doing things myself i don't i haven't worked in the lab for over a decade obviously because once you get to position you you write grants and things to pull people into work for you and do that so yeah that's that's always nice days um nominally i do my dean's role four days a week and i do that one day a week but of course they all kind of bleed into each other but the advantage is you just get to meet lots of different people i think that's the thing i would yeah. say it's not the same meeting with the same people about the same things um you know i particularly enjoy the strategic side of things and think about where we're going to go and plot the future as it were and, and work towards that both in the big level as my job as a dean but also in terms of you know still the, the research and the things i'm involved in now so let's talk about your research now um so first of all can you tell us about the upcoming national rehabilitation center please and what your involvement in this project is yeah of course um Quite a long story, so I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. Um, so the UK military, um, so that's all the forces together, do all of their medical stuff together. Um, and they had a rehabilitation centre. So when someone's been injured, you know, re re rehabilitation post-injury to get back to full service um, in a place called Headley Court near Epsom in Surrey. Um, they were supported um, philanthropically, if you like, by uh, the Duke of Westminster, um, the previous Duke of Westminster, unfortunately, he died a few years ago, and now his son. Um, to you know, be careful what you wish for, right? The people down there said, "Well, we haven't got much space. You know, we're in Marine Belt. It's we can't really expand. It's quite difficult." And at the time, that would have been at the height of the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts. And there's some really interesting which took out of that actually, that um, which I've seen data, I've seen working on this project. That, um, the sort of events and things, um, it's all going to get a bit serious, I'm afraid. These are the sort of things which would have some, someone been put in a body bag. They actually survive now. You know, things have moved on so well, the sort of combat uh, medicine and things have moved on so well that people who, injuries which would have 
killed someone in the past they survived from. But what it did mean is that, that people people are coming back with quite complex um, rehabilitation needs, um, often involving um, prosthetics and additional um, supports and, and what have you. So um, there was felt to be that the Headley Court wasn't um, wasn't you know future proofed. So the Duke of Westminster um, said, right, well, what I want to do is I want to build a new one, basically, establish a new defence medical rehabilitation, the DMRC. I'll come on to the NRC in a sec. Um, and what he did, and um, quite, quite, you know, just makes your mind boggle, really, is that the, the, the defence complex is about £350 million, I think it was, um what what they did is they bought the, the land so they did a, a a survey to find out what's the best place to have it and the best and i'm sure you know this yourself but you know where we are in, in loughborough etc we're not very far from the geographical center of the uk so being in the center is not a bad idea mm. um it's just as hard or just as easy for anybody to get anywhere um so that was number one it had to be less than an hour from birmingham by road um, because you may not be aware, but um, the main trauma centre for the military is in Birmingham. So if people were flown back in who were injured, they'd, go, they'd be treated in Birmingham for the primary injuries and then they'd go to a rehabilitation centre. And they, they happened upon the site of um, a place called Stanford Hall. Stanford Hall is, um, for, for the people who don't know listening, is four miles from the Loughborough University campus. Um, on the heading towards it's actually got a Loughborough postcode and address but it's in Nottinghamshire and and, and it's right on the Nottinghamshire Leicestershire border um, so what he said was okay if we can establish this centre I, I want two things from the government uh, and of course you know he had the connections to talk directly to the government say two things I'd like the MOD to move its um, funding from Stamford from Headley Court to Stamford Hall kind of obvious and then secondly, I'd like the government to commit to a national rehabilitation centre alongside. So about three or four years ago, um, the Chancellor of Exchequer announced that there had been money put aside, uh, 90 million pounds for the national rehabilitation centre. Uh, and that's um, you, one of the things that, again, I've learned in the areas I work in, um, you know, if you lose a limb, it'd be great if you could just grow one back like Axolotl here. Um, that, that there's a lot learned from combat and sport actually which translates into general public and so having them juxtapositioned next to each other juxtaposed i should say um was was the ambition so the defense and medical rehabilitation center has been open for about three three years i think they opened and covid happened um and at the moment there i'm now on the national board for the national to establish a national rehabilitation center so that's going to be, I think it's now gone up to over £100 million development, which will sit a few hundred metres from the Defence Medical Rehabilitation Centre. You know, what, what it will do really is um, completely revolutionise rehabilitation. Rehabilitation is a funny area, really, because it means something to everybody, but it never means the same thing to everybody. Um, right. And really, what you know, I see it as a rehabilitation is if you have any major life event, now, that could be a car accident, but that could be being um, diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Um, there's always a rehabilitation process. So it could be mental health, mental illness, where people mm -hmm. need to rehabilitate. And so obviously, so often the best way to deal with these things is for it not to happen in the first place. So prehabilitation, that, that can be important in some areas. So, you know, prehabilitation of type 2 diabetes would be around um, lifestyle choices, for example. Right. And also in rehabilitation about, um, you know, and then the cool science fiction, things like exoskeletons and things like that for people to, 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 to wear as our, as our, our, our sci-fi films and what have you um, for that kind of end of it. So it, what it's really done is, is it's kind of um, rehabilitation research was always kind of rehabilitation more generally is always kind of seen as old people's homes and Zimmer frames. And actually, it's way, way, way more than that. And it encompasses a whole range of disciplines. That's the other thing as well. So lots of health and medical disciplines, engineering, biological sciences. It's really, really broad. Um, so, you know, that's what that's what it will be there for. It will have people in it. So there'll be people treated in it. Um, so one of our project partners is um, is clearly the NHS. So there will mm -hmm. be people treated in it. But there'll also be people going there for the, um, the community of people, um, you know, like if you have any centre of excellence, it's, it's got to be a world, it's a world leading centre of excellence where clearly um, it was really exciting. You know, Loughborough, we are one mm -hmm. of the main drivers of the project. Um, and I remember actually when um, 
2012, quite soon after I started and, and I became dean within about six or seven months, uh, I went with Bob Allison to the um, to the site, put our wellies on and splodged around in the mud up there um, to, to, you know, to, to, to be involved. So we've been involved as an institution and I personally involved since 2012, 2013, fairly early on. We've done a lot of support of the defence side, as I've talked about. And now we're mm. pivotal players in the in the National Rehabilitation Centre. So, yeah, our involvement is large. Uh, I lead that involvement for the institution. Clearly, I try and make it as broad as possible, so as many parts of the institution to be involved as possible. And it's absolutely going to be world-leading and transformational. There's just mm. no two ways about it. What a brilliant project to be part of and to be, you know, leading on as well. Fantastic. Yeah, it's really so, cool. You kind of mentioned that the research before in rehabilitation um, is kind of a bit more focused towards elderly people. Um, in your opinion, has do you think research in rehabilitation has been overlooked a little bit? And have you kind of outlined some research outcomes that you'd yeah. like to achieve at the centre? So, so I think, has it been overlooked? I, I think it's the word and the definition of the word and what does it mean right. to people and some of it has just been pulling lots of things which would have lived in different homes before into one home oh, yeah. um so for example um you might have colleagues so we've got colleagues in design and creative arts um who are interested in 3d printing prosthetics and things like that um would they have ever worked with people who were looking at um i don't know diet and physical activity as a, as a prevention strategy for major life events probably not Mm. Well, they might want in our institution, but on a, not on a national and international level. So when I say overlooked, I think it's, again, the point I was making, really, is that people silo in their own minds. So I think quite a lot of what we're doing is saying to people it's really, really, really broad. So we've got three. Well, we've got six research areas, three are technology driven um, and three are sort of application. And the application is prehabilitation, mm. acute rehabilitation and chronic rehabilitation. So stopping it happening in the first place if you like or making steps so if it does happen the consequences are not as great for want of a better word chronic acute rehabilitation which is when something has just happened what do you do then and then Mm long-term rehabilitation Um, and we have a number of so for example you might want to um, just think of projects we've got in those areas so um, wearable technology is obviously really important in, in this area. You're probably aware that we, we do quite mm. a bit of work in the institution in this area. So if you could devise, you know, devices and, and phone things and apps and stuff, which can help people do the right thing. So if anything does happen to them, one of the things we learned from COVID-19, COVID-19 is a really good example of something people wouldn't normally think about as rehabilitation. But actually, um, we know that the people who were physically better prepared for COVID-19 um, weren't affected so badly. So people who were healthier, and I'm using that term, and it can be defined in lots of different ways, but people who were healthier were much better able to deal with the condition. And But but there have been people who've got long COVID, so people who require long-term rehabilitation. So I think it's about broadening. It, it can encompass almost any area of health. So I think it's about health. It's about maintaining good health, really. And then when something pushes that off course, finding a way to get it right back on course as quickly as possible. So, mm-hmm. so for me, I think the breadth, I think the, the overlook isn't, that is the simplistic way that people talk about it. But I've learned since being involved in this, this project that I've been involved in rehabilitation research for my entire career. I just didn't call it that. Right. Got and, I, and I think it's pulling things together, but also, you know, and it's, you'll be careful when you use like words, which are, you know, you're working with people who've got no legs, but it's cool, but it is cool. You know, you, you, you get involved in really important things, but really, really interesting. Again, I'm going to bring Axel back into it again. You know, um, understanding how regeneration and repair works. So you could maybe, I say science fiction perhaps, but grow grow a new limb for a human being is mm. really, really exciting. And so you've got that very sort of sci-fi many years down the line stuff. But you've also got the very practical things of, you know, apps for, for people to interact with, um, experts to be able to help their help their short-term rehabilitation as well and that's what's kind of cool about it, is it's really broad mm. very multidisciplinary as I've already said um, so no I, I, I for me it's not so much overlooked as not everything's all been in the same place and everyone's not been talking the same language and that's the other thing about the National Rehabilitation Centre it's a place where everyone's come and talk about the same there they may talk about it in their own language um, the UN almost right they may talk about it in their own language but they're coming under a banner of a single thing 
connecting all those dots it sounds yeah, like yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Ab- yeah absolutely and i think also um you, you have to bear in mind that we, we live in a world now where particularly in places like the united kingdom um people are living longer so there mm. are lots of conditions where you know it wouldn't frankly it wouldn't have mattered because people were dying younger now people are living so much longer i think that, that be able to live a long healthy and productive life is really what it's about um from a, mm. from a sort of a mental and physical health point of view that's really what it's about mm. well i really look forward to seeing how the center progresses it sounds like it's going to have some massive impacts all over all over the place which is brilliant um so let's pivot to another one of your research areas yeah. um so i know it's listed on your academic page as um, some of the research you work on is the design and development of in vitro systems that are as much like the actual tissue as possible. Um, could you explain to our listeners um, who may not even know what in vitro means, um, what this kind of research yeah. entails? Obviously, you can um, you can look at your own body. You can see your muscles, right? You can see your bones. You can see the tissues of your body. Um, what's going on inside those? What's going on inside you when, when things happen? There are uh, when, when you're sort of living your life normally, just all the things I've talked about, just talked about. Really. So, so there are ways you can collect samples. You can take a biopsy of a muscle, for example. You can put people in MRI. There's stuff you can do. Well, that doesn't really tell you about what's going on inside of those, those tissues themselves, the biological pathways. And understanding the biological pathways often help you make the best interventions. You know, the best ways of understanding happens are how you can help it. Um, and as I talked about earlier, um, what in vitro means well, actually actually means in glass. That's what it technically means. But it means growing cells in the laboratory on a petri dish, essentially. So I, I, I talked about yourself earlier. We could take a, a biopsy of your vastus lateralis, one of the muscles in your leg, and we can extract the cells from it. And we can grow them, and then we can put them back together to make a functioning muscle. So when I said um, as much like the actual tissue possible, it's that. So when that little bit of muscles in the lab, it's behaving just like your muscle does. Um, you can exercise it and it fatigues, you can feed it and it grows. Um, all of those things which you would do with your normal muscle that happens in, in, in vitro. And that really is kind of, um, you. there are terms that people use like regenerative medicine, tissue engineering. It's those sort of, tissue engineering is the best word really. Mm-hmm. It, it's rebuilding a tissue so it behaves exactly like it does in your body, which sounds really, really straightforward. Um, and it sounded really straightforward to me at the beginning. Then you realize it really isn't straightforward at all because of course, what you're doing is you're isolating from, you know, your, your muscle tissues are connected together to the rest of your skeleton, which are in, which are, which are in your body. So everything's connected together. So there's always, um, you know, bits and pieces you need to add back in to make them, make them behave. So, so that's what we do really. And I suppose over the years, I, I really, you know, ended up working in the musculoskeletal system. So muscle. So that's the main thing. And I say we're one of the most cited groups in the world, actually. And again, I'm not trying to be a braggart about it, just, to, just we've done quite well at, at it. And so we can do that really reproducibly over and over again. Um, and you have to build, um, if you if you look at anybody's muscle there, it's attached at two ends, right? And it pulls against mm-hmm. the two ends. Now, what it might do is pull your arm up. That's how, that's how your muscle works. So having it attached at two ends is really important. Well, already you've added a level of complexity there because this is a collection of cells which are put into the right format and held between two pins if you like well how do you make those pins what do you do with them how do you measure the force so this is a really good example of where the multidisciplinarity comes in we 3d print the pins basically so this is a collaboration that, that we've had with design and creative arts and, and actually some parts of, of, of Wolfson and acme as well to mm. so 3d print not the biology but the the supporting structures yeah. you know the, the artificial um the artificial tendons if you like um to do that um and we so quite some of the research is, is in the just making that better um so we did, we've done some really cool things this project i started when i was um at ucl and carried on here at loughborough is can we make a neuromuscular junction i can we can we plumb nerves in so we can make um you're probably um, aware that you, your nerves obviously drive your muscles to move um, but then if something happens to your muscles they send a signal back again so we can actually grow nerves from stem cells and put those in as well um, adding the blood system adding the complexity of adding to both so that continues that's a, a continual process and the better that gets obviously we can start thinking about transplanting it you know again picking up my prop again i didn't think i was going to use it i've used it loads um, <laughs> you know could we grow enough tissue to to make a a limb for example um and 
and then to use it for things. So over the years, we've worked with the institution, Loughborough University had a relationship with um, with PepsiCo, Gatorade. So could we use these models to understand which supplements might make muscle get bigger, hypertrophy? Um, when you have been injured, you are inactive and your muscles shrink, they atrophy. So models to kind of understand that. And then actually doing some quite cool things to understand injury and then rehabilitation. And we've just literally been funded uh, for uh, 800,000 pounds. It's a million pound project actually with um, um, an organization called the National Center for Reduction, Refinement, Replacement of Animals, NC3Rs. Um, they are a UK wow. research, they're a UK research agency mm. basically um, who are linked or part of the MRC, Medical Research Council, but also funded by some funding from the British pharma, pharmaceutical industry as well to try and replace animals because the one thing about the things i'm interested in like i said to you before you can't have experiments where you have everyone the same then you injure someone and see what happens and you yeah. don't injure the other group you can't have it injury is always looked at post the event and of course once you're i don't know once your acl your anterior cruciate ligaments exploded it's exploded there's nothing you know you're only learning about what the broken tissue looks like we want to know what happens as you get to that point so we've got some really interesting work going on about um some of the work around acoustic injury you know shock waves uh, particularly okay. um, post sort of explosions, um, mechanical injury overload. One of my PhDs is um, Jess Judd. Jess, um, you should go. You should talk to Jess actually because she competed in the Olympics in Tokyo for Great Britain in um, ten thousand and five thousand meters, and she's interested in overload injury. She's an athlete. She's interested in overload. So how does that? But you can never really study it before you have our, our systems. Chemical injury, you know, there are various ways that you can damage the tissue. How does it repair? So down that route. And then, of course, there is the, um, the other route, which is a little bit about growing a growing replacement tissue or even understanding how the um, juxtaposition of tissue might you might grow might interact with something like a prosthetic limb and how they can work together as well. So, um, yeah, lots of. Um, over the years, huge number. I think I've supervised 50 plus PhDs over the years. Wow. Something like that. Uh, we have, you know, we've been, we've had a good purple patch since we've been at Loughborough getting funding. So, you know, that's, I would say it's lucky because we do really good work, but, you know, it's been great that we'll be able to maintain that because it's not, that's really very difficult to do. So very grateful to all the people who've worked on the projects and all the funders who, who've supported mm -hmm. us as well, because that's been a real great thing. Um, and I'm just trying to think all the current projects and then now we can injure them and then rehabilitate them. So we can get these muscles, we can injure them. And then we can understand what regimes you can rehabilitate. And then we can go straight back to the, the human beings who do this and say, Hey, we think that you should be overloading the tissue by X amount. Can you translate that into a clinical intervention or a chemical intervention or a prevention strategy? So we, we really want it all. It all links into back into real life. I think, I think that's the point. Um, and it's kind of nice because, it's it's very applied research but actually it's quite blue skies as well because what you're doing is trying to understand fundamental you you, you said yourself about your interest in biology you're trying to understand fundamental biological processes but with an application so it's kind of cool because you do nasa use a term technology technology readiness levels trl one to nine and one is like mm -hmm. discovery and nine is um a spaceship landing on the moon or whatever and it's really cool because our work it really spans across those trls that's really interesting how do you juggle it all? Because we've done a lot of talking today and it's a lot of work. So how do you kind of stay on top of everything? Well, I have a brain which, certain, which works in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, we may touch on that in a second. Um, be really interested. I think that that helps, to be quite honest with you. Um, have work with great people. I mean, the, actually, the honest answer is work with great people all the time because you can't deliver you can't deliver stuff on your own very few people i mean i learned that because the area i've worked in i think i made i hope it's been clear throughout the, the chat we've had it relies on lots of different people and lots of different expertise so you do rely on lots of different people so you have to have to and honestly i mean i you know i've had conversations about someone i work with with people who coach national sporting teams and, and people who train military personnel to to people who work in um some, some of the most intricate and most um precise molecular biology so, you, you, so it's really, you know, it's really um, having good teams. I think having good teams is the answer, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, you let people get on with it, right? I, I think that I think that's the important stuff um, for me. Yeah, I can I can imagine it's very rewarding to see all your fifty plus PhD students go out into the world and make a difference as well. Yeah, 
yeah mm. it is nice that and but what i guess what you want to give to people is um you know we we like to work hard and play hard as well so you know we try and make it fun i think that's really important it should be enjoyable you yeah. you know you don't get people don't get on with everybody right that's that's the fantasy world but you can put things in place to make people enjoy their their yeah. day-to-day life as much as possible and you try and make it that people enjoy what they're doing you know mm. i i don't if things don't work i'm not really worried if people make mistakes i'm not really worried i'm more i get more worried when people say they're not enjoying it or they're not motivated that bothers me more mm-hmm. because that's an environment thing people cock up things things go wrong yeah. that's just life and in fact you learn way more from the mistakes you know again another cliche you probably heard loads of times on these but you do for everyone listening make mistakes it's important to make mm-hmm. mistakes because that's the only way you learn how to do the next thing better and I do worry that we, we've generated a bit of a culture that everybody wants, you know, instant success and everything to work straight away. And actually, if I gave you a list, you, you've got a list, you said about the long list of things that I've got, which have been successful. I should show you the list of the unsuccessful things because that's about, that's a, that, that, you know, if that's the successes of a few pages, the unsuccess is about three novels worth. So, you know, it, it, it's, you just don't talk about those things, right? Because they're yeah. part, parcel of the process. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I uh, I did an experiment recently for a module and basically found nothing. Yeah. But the best coursework mark I've ever received. So, you know. <laughs> and actually, if you set your experiment up properly, so I'm, I'm quite a big one about design of experiments, get the experimental design right first time. Because one, with the hat I wear now, it saves money, so you don't waste things. <laughs> but also, it's good science, because if you're asking mm-hmm. the right question, you can design really, actually relatively, a lot of cell culture experiments are actually relatively simple. The techniques and things you need to learn, and, and that's complicated. But the actual experiments itself are quite simple, um, and that's good science for me because you, you're, you're asking, you know, your null hypothesis is is, is simple, and then you're asking the right the right question. So if your experiment has been set up well, but it just doesn't work, that's brilliant because that tells you a, a nil answer isn't an un, isn't unsuccessful. Exactly. Um, sometimes things don't work because people drop them on the floor or drop them in the sink or <laughs> not story. yeah or whatever but that's something you know that's just human that's just humans yeah but actually well-designed experiments which don't work and i don't agree with the word don't work in fact the tissue might be working really hard to not change you know you might be treating it with something and you say well nothing's happened but actually that tissue is working really 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 hard your tissues in your body are working really really hard all the time to stay at, at, you know in the, in the homeostasis essentially so yeah I, I think it's important to try things actually that that's the important thing is to try things really very good advice um so you kind of touched on it a little bit there so you did a blog post recently um i believe called two parallels um could you tell me a bit of, well could you tell our listeners a bit about what you wrote about in this blog and why you decided to share please yeah um <laughs> so I think is it so it's about ADD um actually um although I don't like it when people say oh you've got ADD no no I haven't I've not got it's like saying what's it like being a scientist with blue eyes it's not a question you'd ask anyone and I've not got a disease it's not nothing I've just it's me it's just part of my part of my makeup um it, it was my um, own son, actually, who was who was having some struggles. Um, and of course, it, you know, the support mechanisms these days are way better than when I was younger, way, way more. People are more aware of things. Perhaps they're not as aware as they should be, but they are more aware. They tend to really concentrate only on children in this area. And in fact, it's very obvious that um, the people, people who don't um, sort of work on strategies when they're younger, they just find their own strategies. Um, I remember I talked to someone about this and they said, well, there are two types of people with ADD. There's people with high IQ and low IQ and the, low, the high IQ people go on to be people like Richard Branson, super successful, loads of ideas like, oh my God, you know, oh, this, this mad scientist almost. And the unsuccessful people end up in prison. So that was a little bit unfair, but you know, it, it, it really is that kind of that side of it. So it was really supporting my son to be honest that that was the reason I, and I did it but then when I heard about the things he was talking about I thought that's me uh, and part of the diagnostic um, test is that you get your you know people who've known you for a long time people who've just known you they, they all kind of give answers to a survey and then that's all then cross connected and you get a diagnosis essentially so um, yeah it, it, it said that um, I found out that I was somebody who was um, was ADD or had the way my brain was wired was in that characteristic set and i think the reason so why did i do it um my brain works in a certain way 
um, which I'm really proud of, by the way. And actually, I don't think it's uh, ADD hasn't caused me any problems in my academic career. In fact, if anything, it's totally enhanced it. Um, if you read the blog post, you'll see there's a little list I did of the sort of things. And it's people who want 15 different things going at once. So let's try this. Let's try that. And I actually think it makes people I think it's the people who are, who, who are like that are the ones who come up with lots of brilliant ideas and, you know, and, uh, and come up with the off the wall stuff usually and say, mm. yeah, let's just try it. So I think in terms of my academic career, it hasn't I think it's been a positive 100 percent. Well, it isn't anything. It is me. So I, I'm always one of the, the one of the reasons I wanted to write it is I wanted to kind of disperse the notion that you have something that you know that you're you're ill almost that something you've been i've been diagnosed with no i'm just mark lewis mark lewis happens to be wired this way and this is the way his brain works um and just to sort of almost to appeal to people to be a little bit more tolerant of other people i do do things in some ways that other people wouldn't do it like we all, all right. do and so therefore um, the example i gave in the blog is that um i like to have my diary full all the time um because that helps me organize my brain basically and so people say, oh, we can't ever get, you're always busy. And I say, yeah, but I'll always change things and, and move things around. So don't assume because it's mm -hmm. that way that the other things don't happen. So it's just a little bit more about understanding of other people. So that's why I did it. I wanted people to understand that um, it, it really isn't a, a, a sob story. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't do it for any reason other than um, I wanted to just to, to, you know, talk about it. And actually the reason was as well is I'm the academic, I'm the ALT academic leadership. We have an academic leadership team where all the senior leaders of the university uh, meet to run the university, essentially. Um, I'm the um, academic champion for the inclusion group. Um, and I, I kind of, nobody knew why I wanted to do it. So, I, but I knew why I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. I've also um, very, very close friends. Um, um, up until the age of 18, I'd be the legal guardian of, of, of a boy who's got um, Down syndrome. And some of the things he had to deal with are just bloody shocking um, in society. Just the challenges of just getting things done. Kids are bloody superstar. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of things like that, which made me want to try and bring it. So it's about, it's about, you know, people just being, um, if people, if someone does something a certain way, they're not doing it to try and wind you up. They're not trying to do it to annoy you. They're doing something which helps them work through. So I think I did it for as a, an awareness piece, really. Mm -hmm. Um and I, and I said to the group I was going to do it as well, so I kind of had to as well. Emma Nadin, who runs the inclusion group, is absolutely brilliant. And she said to me, um, well, you should write about it. And I wasn't sure. And I thought, well, this is just sometimes the bits of you which are you, you want to keep for yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But actually, I thought it was a, it was kind of a nice story because for me, I, I'm not, as I say, someone would ask, how do you do your career with blue eyes? Um, you know, it, it's just how my brain is wired. And, and I think it makes me really successful actually um some of the other parts of add the brain racing all the time um that's sometimes where you get some of the some of the um the other effects you know it can be linked to mild to moderate depression because if your brain's racing all the time you're wanting to do things all the time and something new all the time and you just can't it's just, it's just mm. not feasible and often it's the sort of relaxing your brain which is the issue um and then sometimes that can lead to you just feeling a bit down because you think well i want to do this and i want to do that and there's the real world and then there's the world that my brain lives in sometimes right. and you want to do everything. So I guess I wanted to do it for awareness. I, I did it to support my son and I thought it was important to say that. And I just wanted to, um, you know, make the point that we're all wired differently. That's what makes the human race great. Right. I, I think I, I hate the word neurodiversity because it makes it something medical and biological and a problem. Um, I like the word diversity and um, I don't like the word disability. I like the word ability. So what do you have? You have diverse abilities. Well, that's called being human beings. I think just recognising that and helping people thrive. So mm -hmm. awareness. I think I did it for awareness. That, that's yeah. the main reason. So I, I think it's a really interesting and honest read. And I, when we release this podcast, I'll definitely make sure we hyperlink it. Because I think a lot of people will be, um, yeah, I think they will. I think sometimes with, um, talking about things like this within Haiti, I think some academics, I even spoke to somebody today, they worry that how institutes will perceive that. So I think oh, it's great that as a dean, you've come out and said it. I think it's fantastic. I'm a white male dean as well. So, you know, um, for, which are a group of people who would normally step up and talk about this stuff. But it didn't, I've, I've had loads of lovely messages and thank you everyone if anyone's listening for that because mm -hmm. I'm really touched by them. So many people have contacted me from who, who I didn't know, some of them from, from around the university. Thank you, thanking me for doing it. And 
And they use the word brave. And I know, and I'm not dismissing what they've said to me, but I just don't think it is brave. I'm just talking about me. Honest. That's the and, word I'd use. It's and being honest, honest is the important thing. Um, mm -hmm. And you're right. One of the things that the inclusion group are really keen on. Um, we do a lot around this for students, but it's important we do it for staff as well. Absolutely. But that's the group of people I kind of represent or work with, I should say, not represent. It, it's really about um, just just understand that everybody's different i think i think that is as simple as that really and don't judge i think people worry about being judged as you as you've said and um it actually you know it's shocking really again it, i think it goes back to victorian concepts of normality and what is normal um i well i can tell you i'm abnormal according to the airlines because i'm six foot four and all of the i can't sit in any of the seats because they're for a normal height person this is what i mean you know there's there's, there's these concepts of normality which don't really exist um, and which were made to, you know, for, you know, for various reasons in the past. So I think it's just about accepting that everyone's different, right? And, and, and yeah. I think you learn a lot about people um, and you find out a lot about different people in their lives and, you know, how many different ways there are of working at Loughborough University, actually. So I think mm -hmm. that's why I did it, really. I, I wanted right. to, I wanted to, I just wanted to talk about it, really. And I promised some of the people I were going to do it. So it was a little bit of push as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's great that you have. Um, to finish off, we're going to do a bit of a quick fire question round. Um, just yeah, cool. We've been chatting for a while, which I absolutely love. But I'm sure our listeners probably don't want a four hour podcast. <laughs> so we'll do a bit of a quick fire round. I can so, talk about how I off a donkey, don't worry, for hours. Oh, so so uh, can I. And also because yeah. you're in the biology field, both of us together, we could be here all evening. Um, so quick fire, what's the most exciting thing about your role? The different people I deal with and the different projects, the, the breadth of the projects I get involved in. The not so glamorous parts? Oh, big silence. Yeah, because I. Good though. <laughs> um, the day to day grind of, of any job which you've been doing for a long time, which yeah. is the same of all work, you know, that's. I mustn't pretend that, you know, it's all Harry Potter and we're all wizards and, and it's all great every single day. There are just some days which is a bit dull and a bit grinding. I, I think Fair that's enough. probably, I think that's the same with most, most people's yeah. work, really. And um, favourite project to date? Oh, that is a really, really hard one. Um, I think probably that when we got um, the... in. Well, I'll give you two answers, actually. The first one is about the, the research. And that's when, for the first time, we were getting muscles to twitch under, you know, in the laboratory and behaving like a real muscle. That's a pretty big moment because I've been working towards mm -hmm. it for a long time. In terms of my favourite project today in, in the other role, it's probably the National Centre of Sport and Exercise Medicine, which was the 2012 Olympic legacy to improve the nation's health through sport, exercise and physical activity, which I kind of, when I got bought in, as a prof, you kind of need leadership roles. And that was one of the things I was going to do. I wasn't, as I say, I became the dean after that. So that's probably the favourite today. Uh, the NRC and we'll, 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 we'll take over that definitely in the DMRC. Yeah. But that's been my favourite today, yeah. Um, so you've obviously achieved a lot, but what is your dream or future goal for your career? God, I don't have the slightest idea. I actually don't have the slightest idea. Um, it's very interesting. An academic career is very um, has lots of steps in it. Uh, I sorry, what do I mean? Has a has a very clear progression in it mm -hmm. from PhD to postdoc or or whatever you know, um, teaching assistant, whatever to lecturer, senior lecturer, reader, prof. Dum 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 dum. You have that for 15, 20 years of your career. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you don't have it anymore. It's very very weird um, actually because you kind of go onto onto that point. So I I I don't. I'll keep enjoying it. Good, that's a good I think answer. That's my answer. Chase what interests you and what's enjoyable. Yeah. And um, what do you do in your spare time? Are you still doing rugby? I, I still run around while I stand on a rugby field. Um, so I've been, I still do that. Um, I have been, it's very lucky. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I can play with my sons as well now. So that's nice. Um, that's probably my main sort of stuff outside work. Um, what else do we do? I, I, I'm, I'm a social beast. I like socialising. So you'll always find me organising, you know, trips to the pub or the theatre or, or go to watch sport. I, I like people. So things which involve being around other people. I'm, I'm terrible. If I'm on the house on my own, I'm, I hate it. I, I'm just not somebody who likes being on my own, if I'm honest. I don't, don't really like my own company in, in, in a kind of a positive way. So 
being around other people and doing stuff, which kind of fits with all the things we talked about, I think. Absolutely. Um, and then just looking forward a bit, so we've kind of covered past, present, let's go to future. Um, for the next generation of scientists kind of stepping into your field, what do you think will be the next hot topics for them? For me, I think it will be um, how can you make lots of a tissue? Mm-hmm. Um, so why is that important? Well, again, the prop I was never going to use. Um, if I want to make a leg, I need bones and muscles and ligaments and tendons, and I need to grow that. That's as much an engineering and processing technology um, challenge as it is about a biological challenge. And um, not only that, there's another world that you're probably quite aware of, or maybe the listeners are, I don't know, about um, clean meat. So about growing. So what we do in the lab is we grow muscle people a steak is muscle so we've now having more and more involvement with people who are trying to grow meat in the laboratory basically growing meat it's just muscle which they eat mm. and that again is going to be limited by how much you can make not can you do it the technology we're pretty much there so i think for me that's going to be the hot topics is being able to literally um replace farm animals with laboratory grown meat and be able to completely regrow an entire new limb to give back to somebody Wow. Well, that's fascinating. Watch this space. <laughs> yeah, well, it might not happen in my lifetime, but <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, and final question. So for people listening that are kind of aspiring to be like you and work in kind of your industry, do you have any words of wisdom or alternatively words of wisdom you your younger self would have liked to have heard? Pursue things which interest you. I, I, and now I, I understand that those people say that and that can be very trite because we've got like you alluded to earlier people got mortgages to pay and mouths to feed and all that kind of stuff so it's not always straightforward but wherever you can I think I would follow what interests you but don't follow it blindly so there are some people say oh I'm really interested in like my example I always use is is um, the physiology of camels or something but if but but if the rest of the world are not interested in the physiology of camels then you, you've kind of got to moderate yourself a little bit so it mm. is follow what you're interested in and things which which get you excited. Just but just be aware that you know to sustain it, you need other people to be interested in it as well. Got you. That's good advice. Trying to combine those two worlds, loves and a real world issue. Yeah, um, absolutely. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and couple of the scientists. I've had an absolute blast hearing about your research. Um, before we go, is there anything you'd like to plug website wise, Twitter wise, anything like that you want people to check out? Um, I'm terrible at stuff like this. I've got people to do it for me now, which is great. <laughs> um, I, I guess look at the um, look at the NRC. Um, I mean, it's a major. I mean, I'm, it's just isn't Mark Lewis project. This is something I'm doing on behalf of the whole institution and part of the UK. So I think that's a really important thing. It's hugely significant for us because of how close it is to us, uh, and it's hugely significant the many things that we talk about. So yeah, go away. Maybe I'll I, I, maybe I can send you a few links and bits and pieces, and we can you know lots of things and talk about the stuff go out and talk about the stuff and i guess the other thing is just you know read the blog a little bit and just reflect on you know perhaps if someone's behaving in a certain way and it's annoying you just maybe consider they're not doing it to annoy you they're doing it because that's what how they get through their life and and maybe bear that in mind as well brilliant well thank you mark we'll pop all the links below in the youtube description um but thank you so much it's been a pleasure absolute brilliant i've enjoyed talking to you thoroughly um great fun thank you very much it's got very dark as I've been talking to you, I think I've got more and more like, more and more feeling in the dark, which is a familiar sort of feeling. So, yeah, quite appropriate. <laughs> Thank you all for listening and watching this episode of Cook with a Scientist. I hope you find it interesting and will join us again soon. Do leave a comment and get in touch. I'd love to hear your feedback and thoughts on who you'd like to see on the show. And make sure you don't miss a show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other mainstream podcast platforms. You can also subscribe to the Loughborough University YouTube channel if you prefer to watch the show. See you next time for more hot tea and even hotter stories to help you on your way to becoming a scientist.